Hi, I'm Phyllis Lappin Vance, and I'm listening to That's What She Said. That's What She Said, episode 58, Moroccan Christmas. Wow, that is really hard. You really think you can go all day long? Well, you always left me satisfied and smiling, so... That's what she said! <laughs> Suicide doors on my 57 Chevy Roll around town like a hero I got you on my mind Just like all the time Pedal down, nowhere to go And welcome to episode 58 of That's What She Said, a podcast about the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I'm your human resources coordinator, Matt Summer, and this week we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the 10th episode of season 5, entitled Moroccan Christmas, which originally aired Thursday, December 11th, 2008. Oh, come all ye faithful to Michael's first annual Christmas intervention. Phyllis sits a home run as head of the party planning committee, but when Meredith becomes fire girl, too soon, Michael takes the 12 steps into his own hands. Dwight makes a bundle of Christmas cash, Andy plays sitar hero, Phyllis spills the beans, and Toby almost earns my sympathy. And you know what they say, if this Christmas party's Moroccan, don't come a-knockin'. Lots to discuss, lots to talk about, let's head on over to the water cooler. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage, because I bring my own water to work. Why did you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's the scuttlebutt? And joining me at the water cooler again this week for a glass of holiday eggnog is our dear, dear friend, Kevin Crossman. How you doing? Well, Matt, I don't mind telling you that I have an addiction. I do. <laughs> to the office. Ah, uh, good one. Glad to be here. Ah, uh, well, that's better than porn, I guess. Absolutely. It's a very festive time here, and that's what she said, Land, and I am real excited to talk about this, I think, controversial episode of The Office. <laughs> uh, controversial is, I think, a good word. Now, uh, as everyone knows, of course, the Christmas episode is sort of a holiday tradition, on the show, and the only holiday that they've done, I was going to say every season, but of course last year, uh, season four, the, the writer's strike kind of kneecapped the holiday Christmas episode. So we have quite a few other ones. We have at least two other Christmas episodes to uh, to measure this episode against, Kevin, and I'm going to throw this out there to you. Where do you fit Moroccan Christmas on a scale uh, when you're looking at comparing it to Christmas Party and Benihana Christmas? Well, certainly it's not as good as Christmas Party. That scene with the iPod is just classic. I put it on par with Benihana Christmas myself. I really did like this episode a lot, and I'd say it's right up there. Well, I obviously agree that Christmas Party is far and away the best episode that they've done in this holiday theme. It's been a while since I've seen Benihana Christmas, so maybe I'm just using nostalgia to uh, to speak for me, but I'm not quite sure exactly where this one fits, whether it's on par or better or a little bit worse than that because this this week there were some things I really liked I really loved the Dwight plot line and the whole Princess Unicorn thing and cornering the market on the Christmas toys um, mm-hmm. I love the <laughs> I love the whole scene with Flenderson at the end uh, it was awesome and I, you know I really enjoyed a lot of this other stuff that was going on I enjoyed the beginning of the episode Angela kind of 
having to take all this crap from Phyllis and, and how that came to a head. But, man, I'm still just not sure what I think about this whole intervention plotline because I've said this before that I've wanted Meredith as a character to stop being a cartoon character, to get more three-dimensional. And she's been used, obviously, over the last three, four years as the funny drunk in the tradition of, say, Otis from the Andy Griffith show, uh, mm-hmm. the hilarious town drunk who gets into wacky things and licks hand sanitizer and and what have you. Mm-hmm. And that's been kind of funny because it, it hasn't really been that real, I think, for us. Because, I mean, I want to be honest, obviously there's nothing funny about alcoholism. And I'm sure that maybe some people, if they have somebody in their family or whatever that they know that's going through these kind of problems, you know, maybe this really was not at all funny. I found it really uncomfortable and for most of the scene. i got to say it really... I almost felt like this was an interesting idea, but I don't know if it was the right time to do this during the Christmas episode. I think the biggest thing that caused me to wonder about this is that in the past, the Christmas party and Benihana Christmas, whatever you think of them, they've always had, and they've always ended on a note where there was actually a lot of heart in the episode. Um, Mm -hmm. If you think about the Christmas party, of course, we had the Yankee swap and everyone's pissed off and whatever. But the episode ends with everyone coming together and having a party and it's warm. Michael goes out and buys the alcohol and everyone kind of has a good time. Benny on a Christmas, same thing. It has a lot of heart. It ends with that talk with Michael and Jim. Really kind of gives it that heart, the emotional center. And I think that this episode really was missing that heart or that emotion that the other Christmas episodes have had. What do you think about that? Well, I, I'd agree that this definitely did not have the heart that those other episodes did. And as it relates to the alcohol storyline, i, I got to probably put out there a disclaimer that for the past 13 years I've been running a parody website called Lip Balm Anonymous. So clearly humor related to the 12-step program is not something that I personally find offensive. I agree with you. Everyone finds their own humor, and for a lot of people this is not a topic that they think is funny. Uh, for other people that uh, have a looser sense of what could be made fun of, I think that this is not so far out of line with some of the other topics that they've made fun of on the office, both office-related and sort of on society in general. And in that respect, I, I do agree that the Dwight storyline with the, with the doll and everything and him selling it at a profit, I think, was was great and the kind of humor that we expect from the office. So, uh, again... I want to put the disclaimer out there. I'm going to talk a lot about how much I like this intervention storyline, and I don't want it to come off that I think that everyone should think that this is fabulous. There were some funny lines in there, but I guess the thing that I just sort of fell a little bit flat for me is that it was mostly just uncomfortableness. And I know that this is something that we have always had as part of The Office, the awkward humor and that black humor or what have you. But, I mean, Meredith running around and screaming uh, as Michael's trying to commit her to the... To the uh, rehab center. I mean, it's kind of funny when I talk about it now. But when I was editing the audio and I was just listening to this, just screaming for like two minutes, <laughs> it just wasn't that funny. It just did not come across as funny to me at all. And the thing that's weird about this is that I actually think that this would have been much funnier if Michael would have fixated on someone just randomly in the office who didn't have an alcohol problem but thought they did. Like, let's say whatever, Pam or Jim or somebody just accidentally set themselves on fire 
you know, like Meredith does in this episode. And then Michael takes it like, oh, you have a drinking problem, then goes through all these steps. And, and, and that would have been funny because it wasn't really deserved. Michael was taking it too far. He was trying to help or whatever the case may be. Um, in this situation, I mean, we've seen this for years. Meredith is sick. She is definitely an alcoholic and definitely needs help. And it's just weird because everyone in the office besides Michael maybe they just know better that this isn't that they can't do anything that she has to take the first step toby in fact even says you know well we can't talk about this here which struck me as kind of odd because you think that he'd definitely be all over her drinking issues because it has affected her performance at work many times in many episodes we can name here with Mm -hmm. um you know her (laughs) poor driving and the women's appreciation episode like i said the hand sanitizer incident just uh, falling asleep at the desk with, like, you know, 44-ounce soda cup with uh, the alcohol in it, whatever. I mean, this is something that should be coming up here, and so it's it's a little touchy. It's a little iffy, and they had to walk a fine line, I think, to make this funny, and I don't know for me if it really paid off, I guess, so you'll have to convince me. Yeah, I agree, that, especially to the Toby aspect here. I mean, we've, we've got cut a lot of flack for hating on Toby. This is a perfect example of why we have played up the fact that we hate him so much on the show because he really should be doing Michael's job in this episode. And you've got to give credit where credit is due. Michael at least is trying to do the right thing and doing a fairly reasonable job of it, I think. And Toby is just, when he says, I'm doing your job, man, it's actually truthful. It's a funny line too. But, exactly. But but it's really what he should be doing. And uh, among the other things that are pathetic in this episode about Toby, this <laughs> this particular aspect is definitely one of them. Now, uh, the one thing I do want to say though, is as uncomfortable as that moment in the parking lot was, I gotta say that the the the, the showdown between Phyllis and Angela. I mean, I was. I was tense during that scene. Yes. It was was very, very tense. And the close-ups where you could see every wrinkle on their faces, I mean, that didn't help either. (laughs) I mean, I think we were were right in the middle of it. I was sweating. I thought that was a very effective scene. It wasn't funny, really, but I just loved it. Uh, Thursday, Kevin, loved this episode, and each time I've watched it, I've liked it even more. Well, I'm going to agree with you on that uh, scene with Phyllis and Angela at the end. It was like a couple of gunslingers there facing it down. I mean, Phyllis has been riding there pretty much all episode, and it came to that head there where you think that it could go either way, really, that Angela kind of talks her down, and Phyllis sort of looks like she's going to give in. She goes back to her meek personality, because the truth Mm -hmm. of the matter is, I mean, really, if she does give up that secret, then she doesn't have any power. And and you think that, okay, because she's like, okay... And she gives up and walks, starts to walk away. And Angela, they show Angela smirking. So right there, I guess that maybe that was a, yeah, she deserves what she gets kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I like that. I like that. I'm glad that it finally came out, though, Kevin. I do have to say, I'm not really that thrilled with how they happened to do it with Andy, of course, being out of the room when everyone else in the office heard the news. So he ends up just being this big sap that doesn't know. Everyone in the office now knows that he's being cuckolded by Dwight and that he's a sap and being played, and he's just charmingly oblivious to the whole situation. Well, you know, Michael probably doesn't know because he was out of the office, so that, in some respects, keeps the secret because he's the worst at keeping secrets. But I I, I think that the, the, the show end where he comes out and sings that sweet song and no one claps and he says it's a tough room, I think that that made the fact that he was out of the room worth it. If he doesn't find out real quick now, 
in the next episode or so, then I will agree with you. So I'm going to give, I'm going to hold my judgment until I see the next episode and kind of see if they're going to continue this or not. Because, uh, you know what, it would be pretty funny if he comes bursting in at the beginning of the next episode, all mad because of what everyone knows and now he knows. Well, yeah, I, but I have a feeling that that's not going to happen. I mean, mm-hmm. I, the way that things have been going, I, as we talked about last week with that whole ping-ponging back and forth, I I don't think they're going to give this up. I think now it's just going to be, for another couple of episodes, Andy just being the sap and everyone feeling sorry for him and him saying things like, you know, oh, I love you, and then we all just... <laughs> cry a little inside because we know that he's just an idiot and uh, everyone's making fun of him so I mean when this does come out the fact that everyone knows and and the fact that he's the last to know I'm anticipating or I'm hoping that we get a really huge volcanic eruption that even rivals uh, season 3 with the yes. <laughs> with the plaster you know the, the drywall there's got to be some kind of very severe Andy Bernard meltdown perhaps <laughs> Uh, one on mano a mano a mano or something with with Dwight in the parking lot. <laughs> it's it, uh, but I agree. I mean, it's got to go somewhere. I don't want to see him being a a fool for the rest of the season. All right. Well, well, one thing that I do have to say, Kevin, is that I'm actually I've been kind of critical on the whole Jim and Pam thing, and I wasn't a fan of that last week. Although a lot of people disagreed with me apparently about that, that I didn't like the way Pam was acting and they thought it was a little low for her to use her sexiness to get what she wants or whatever the case is for what as small as their part was in this episode i was really charmed by the interaction with jim and pam and i don't know what your reaction to that those scenes were but i really liked their uh kind of back and forth and and watching them just have fun together for once it was a pleasure it was nice to see that after the long extended discussion last week about <laughs> wanting to see it as well so great timing for the staff of the office yep so let's uh, talk a little bit about the credits uh, episode written by justin spitzer who's been a producer on nine episodes and a credited writer on four of them including a co-writing credit with brent forster on did i stutter also on product recall and back from vacation now you thought that uh that fit in with the moroccan christmas well i just thought that as i was thinking about that really tense scene with angela and phyllis it reminded me of did i stutter in terms of the fact that there was some true drama in that episode as well that was on par with anything you would see in a dramatic show and i thought well okay this guy can he can write conflict pretty well i guess this episode was also directed by paul feig and we talked about him last week um nothing really new to add so let's just go ahead and start on the clips here now what is going on i'll let phyllis fill us in on the details this is the first christmas party i'm throwing as head of the party planning committee the theme is night in morocco this isn't your grandmother's christmas party unless of course she's from morocco in which case it's very accurate angela you're gonna move this for the party right it's not on theme. It's the nativity scene. I need you to get rid of the tree. But, but thank no. you. Oh, I don't think it's blackmail. Angela just does what I ask her to do, so I won't tell everyone that she's cheating on Andy with Dwight. I think for it to be blackmail, it would have to be a formal letter. You know, I gotta eat a little crow, I guess, because I was thinking when we were reading that description of the episode last week, I thought for sure that this was gonna be a huge party disaster and that Phyllis was going to go down with the sinking ship, but 
Now it turns out that this is the best party ever. Well, the fact that they had a gigantic bar probably didn't hurt <laughs> the theme. I thought that the theme was, of course, really strange. Obviously, <laughs> you know, you're, when you're when it's the Christmas party and you're getting rid of the Christmas tree and the, and the nativity scene. That is certainly weird, and but that being said, uh, certainly memorable. And I have to say, I mean, we're we heard a little bit there, and the scene with the nativity scene in particular, very inappropriate as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> could Phyllis be more of a bitch in this episode? I don't know how she could have. Um, it was very, very interesting. I well, have to Kevin, say, it wasn't on theme. I mean, she's very dedicated. And this is the thing that is interesting to me is because her parties. You know, we've seen some really sad parties in the past. And I, I'm wondering if she's getting her budget from Bob Vance. He's kicking in, like, thousands of dollars for her to have these fabulous parties. Um, uh. It seems a lot better. I mean, that, and that's, that is the case. Uh, Michael even, you know, makes a big effort of saying, wow, this is the best party we've ever had. I think he says that two or three times in the episode. So yeah. he's really impressed. The one thing I do have to say that I missed, I missed the fact that it did not look like Christmas. I missed the fact that they didn't, you know, didn't have the fake snow in the parking lot. I missed that, all that stuff. I kind of missed the decorations a little bit. Um, you, you, missed the, you missed the snow in the parking lot? If you remember from uh, Christmas party, there was, there was a quite whole, a lot. There was a whole bunch. In, uh, the, well, I guess you were probably just freaked out from the screaming and yelling at the rehab clinic. But there was plenty of fake snow there. I want to say that the one thing I did like about the theme was it did, it did introduce some really nice moments, like the scene with Jim rubbing the lamp and Kevin playing the bongos and the the thing with the hat. The I will not Sammy be the Kevin. big man with the tiny hat. <laughs> I mean, the, the fact that it was against theme did it did offer an opportunity for you to introduce some new kind of jokes that you haven't necessarily right. seen a million times in these Christmas episodes. And of course, the the little bit of business where she says, "Oh, this is a cookie that's served during Ramadan," and Angela <laughs> spits it out. So yeah, a lot of <laughs> nice anti-Muslim sentiment there. I want to know, what was Creed smoking? Well, <laughs> I guess we'll never know. You can, of course, smoke regular tobacco with the hookah pipe, but... What's, what's, what's the fun in that? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that is a good point. So the party gets going, and that's the thing, like we said, that, that plays out through the rest of the episode with Phyllis being that kind of party slave driver over Angela. And, and she really does stick it to her. I mean making her cut up the little pieces of uh, pita bread and wear the hairnet and all that stuff. <laughs> I mean, she really is getting her going, and so I'm surprised she actually did last that long. Ah, oh, man, as the party goes on, I got just a little clip here of a few of the, the party scenes. Michael is playing the bartender, of course, and everyone is having a great old time. I will grant you one wish. I wish you would stop rubbing that lamp in that creepy way. Stupid. Everybody knows to ask for a hundred more wishes. <sighs> <laughs> hey, hey, and check it out. There's a place in France where the naked ladies dance. <laughs> really, Andy? It's Christmas, and you're singing about nudity and France. Jim, check that out. What is it? That is vodka, and I mixed it with orange juice. I call it an orange vodka juice, cup. Wow, that is delicious. Yeah. I can't believe no one's thought of it. I know! Man, so, like, I'm picturing this at now forevermore, Kevin, at any office uh, convention, any office gathering, we're going to have the Orange Vod Juicas and the Around the Block or whatever. He said, once around, 
<laughs> Whatever that a, drink a, was. A, the... a one of everything. Scotch, right. absinthe, rum, gin, vermouth, triple sec, and of course the peace resistance, two packs of Splenda. So, yeah. Mm. Sounds delicious, I have to say. I'm, I, I have some grapefruit vod juicas actually chilling in the background here. You know, one thing I gotta say, I, I really kind of took me by surprise Andy singing that weird song. I mean, it's like one of those songs that every kid in America probably knows by heart. And just listening to him sing it and play it on the sitar there was uh, quite amusing, I have to say. And now you're singing about France. Well, that's the, that's the song. But, the, I, but I know. Yeah, Angela, Angela's reaction, of course, is just so funny. You know, it's, it's inappropriate <laughs> because it's about <laughs> naked ladies in France, not because of anything else. So, yeah, good stuff there. And Andy, of course, that's his business now for the rest of the episode, playing and fiddling around with that sitar and keeps him out of the room conveniently for the plot points later on. Now, Well, it's all, it's all Jim's fault because Jim told him that he didn't want him playing anymore, so he had to go in the back and hide <laughs> while he was practicing his thing for Angela. This is then, I guess, where things start to go a little wrong as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Meredith is going crazy. She's had three or four of Michael's special drinks and uh, is really <laughs> becoming the quote-unquote life of the party in there, doing some belly dancing and uh, other inappropriate behavior. And, Kevin, the thing that's funny is that yesterday I was attending my work Christmas party. And I saw your Twitters about it. Yes, and there was a woman, <laughs> a colleague of mine who was uh, the, our very own Meredith, at the party there who was basically dancing by herself, uh, who actually lifted up her shirt and was playing with her belly fat as well. So oh my God. it was it, very eerie as, as kind of similar as this was <laughs> now that I think about it. So, uh, you know, it's pretty scary. Meredith goes a little out of control. Somehow she's flipping and flopping around and starts, uh, her hair on fire. And of course it is Dwight to the rescue with the fire extinguisher. And that gets, Michael thinking that something's got to be done. An intervention, it's sort of hard to describe, but really it's, it's a surprise party for people who, are, who have addictions. And you get in their face and you scream at them and you make them feel really badly about themselves. And then they stop. Okay, you know what I thought we should do is have a quick intervention and then get back to the party. I'm not an alcoholic. Yeah, obviously you are. Okay, everybody who thinks that Meredith is an alcoholic, please raise your hands. Aye. The ayes have it. I don't care what everyone thinks. I know I am not an alcoholic. And so this is where we're all, everyone watching this is saying, yes, you are. <laughs> I mean, I guess the humor in the situation is that, as we said, Michael is trying to do the right thing, and his heart is in the right place, but it's the wrong time, and it's, very, you know, as Oscar and the other guys say, he has no idea what he's doing. So, you know, oh, we're just going to have a quick intervention and then get back to the party. Like, that'll cure her or something. You know, 15 minutes and she'll be good to go. Yeah, I, I did like that scene with Oscar and Jim. They're going through the calendar and Jim set Michael up there for Groundhog's Day. That was pretty funny. Well, but, I, uh, I do yeah, celebrate no, that myself. <laughs> it is a pretty serious scene. And again, I think Michael is trying to do the right thing as best as he can. It sure would be nice if some of the other people in the office were not enabling Meredith and instead were supporting Michael and doing the right thing. You know, and that's the thing that I guess that's where we're getting into some problems here because really, should we expect anybody else to do anything? I mean, I, I guess that was where they were supposed to make the humor coming from that Michael was 
just so clueless that he was being dumb about this and everyone else is like well we can't do anything and so we uh, this is not the right place or whatever i don't know i i sort of agree with you what you're saying that i sort of wish that they would have done something but i guess that's not uh maybe not realistic yeah, well, if anything, I think your earlier idea, if Pam had been the target of the intervention, you probably would have had everybody jumping on her back about being an alcoholic based on her track record over the past few episodes, everyone jumping on her <laughs> for this, that, or the other thing. But, yeah, it's kind of funny there were sort of laissez-faire attitude of, like, yeah. Yeah, no one could even think of any negative things that she'd done, or uh, Kevin gets this big speech about how, <laughs> well, you gave me free movie tickets because you were drunk, so thanks. I mean, uh, nobody has any problems, I guess. it's You'd think at least somebody would complain about their hand sanitizer being <laughs> drunk or whatever, you know, taken down a few uh, inches in the bottle. In any case, that leads us, that discussion there talking about alcoholism and drinking sort of leads into another little discussion of alcoholism and drinking by our old dear friend Andy Bernard. When I was in college, I used to get wicked hammered. My nickname was Puke. I would chug a fifth of SoCo, sneak into a frat party, polish off a few people's empties, some brewskis, some jello shots, do some body shots off myself, pass out, wake up the next morning, boot, rally, more SoCo, head to class. Probably would have gotten expelled if I'd let it affect my grades, but I aced all my courses. They called me Ace. It was totally awesome. Got straight Bs. They called me Buzz. Now, I don't know about that. What do you think about that talking head? Did that seem did that seem to fit in this episode right here? It absolutely fit. I think that was one of the best talking heads ever. I could listen to that all day. <laughs> that that the whole thing was perfect. It just completely worked for me. Um, it, I mean, it was it was it was Andy's one shining moment in this episode because everyone's beating up with him. Uh, that scene with with Stanley staring at him playing the sitar after the commercial break was just deadly. And of course, all the other abuse he gets in this episode. So I was glad that he got one shining moment to really talk about how cool he is with alcohol. Yeah. And I loved that that he, in the course of that one talking head, was able to pull in three separate and distinct nicknames. <laughs> Well, I aced all my courses, got straight Bs. <laughs> they I'll called me buzzed. Ace. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a funny speech. I, I One of the things I had about this episode is I feel like there was just way too many talking heads. That was a funny bit there with Andy. I'm not sure if it fit in with the whole discussion uh, as it was going. Maybe they were trying to lighten things up a little bit, I guess, uh -huh. getting to be too dark. But we can talk about that before. I, I feel like they had a few too many talking heads, especially with the Dwight plot line. Um, oh no no! We no. get into that when we get to it. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. Well, even that. even his talking heads in this Meredith storyline, I thought were really funny. Oh no, that Though, one that one was funny. The other ones, we'll get to it in a little bit. I thought that. Um, well, let's just go ahead and play this clip, and then we can talk about that. Um, the intervention continues, and we get a few uh, few other uh, little words of wisdom from the old Shrewd family farm. Michael, we should contact some experts. You don't know what you're doing. Hey, you know what, Toby? One of my employees is undergoing a crisis, and I wish for just once you would take my side on this. I'm doing your job, man. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to go around the room and have us each express to Meredith how her alcoholism has affected us. Dwight, don't you have anything? No. I like Meredith. Actually, I don't care for Meredith, but I don't believe in this kind of thing. In the Schrute family, we believe in a five-fingered intervention. Awareness, education, control, acceptance, and punching. Hey, 
If anything ever happened to you, I would be very angry at myself for not doing all that I could do. I want you to say I'm an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic. You can say it as loudly as you want, but we're not going to believe you. You know, I guess the thing with this is that they keep inserting these sort of light-hearted lines in the midst of this really kind of dark and serious plot line here, again, with Meredith continuing to stress and yell, I'm not an alcoholic, and, and Michael trying to get through to her, and we're all sitting here watching this saying, again, yes, you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> get help, uh, whatever. Well, and, and Michael's actually doing a pretty good job of what you're supposed to do in an intervention. You're supposed to show the person that you care about them, that you want them to get help, how their alcoholism has affected you. He's, You know, if if the other people in the group would follow his lead, he'd actually be doing a pretty good job in this intervention, despite the fact that it's Michael Scott. He is really doing the right thing here, and it's just too bad. But as it relates to the talking heads, I I think you're right that it is kind of weird that they cut away to kind of keep the tension from getting too tight. Uh, but I thought all of these cutaways were comedy gold, so especially <laughs> that one. the way And especially the way Rain Wilson delivered it was awesome. Yeah, uh, punching is always very important. I gotta say, you know, I don't have any problem with that one. I'll, we'll get to this in the next clip. I'll tell you what my problem was, I guess. But um, let me ask you this about this episode, because you're just talking about this. You're saying Michael's doing the right thing and everything. But is that what the is that what the writers intended us to get out of this? That he is doing the right thing, or are we supposed to be looking at Michael and saying, "Oh, Michael, you dummy"? I mean, I haven't participated in, in an intervention, but from what I can tell, he's doing a lot of the right things here, and no one else is doing a damn thing about trying to get help for Meredith, so I think we are supposed to view him as a sympathetic figure in this regard. Obviously, he takes a little too far. You, you know, most people realize you can't just drop someone off at the rehab clinic and check them in and make a deposit, but that being said, uh, you know, he is trying to do the right thing. Yeah, I guess maybe that's where the humor comes from, then. It's not about making fun of Michael as far as what he wants to do, as much as it is him taking it to kind of a ridiculous or uh, an extreme that isn't necessary, I guess. Right. Yeah, like always, we talked about this before, that his worldview is very shaped by what he sees in TV and movies. The 28 Days, <laughs> Sandra Bullock uh, classic and all that kind of stuff. It's probably drawing on those things um, <laughs> to to get this to come together. And there's also a little funny bit that I don't have in the clip here where he downloads some stuff off the Internet and he's asking her a bunch of questions, and the one question is like, you know, has drinking ever caused you to doubt the teachings of the Mormon church? I thought that was a good line. A couple of people on the blog page brought that up. They didn't really understand why that was in there, but it just seemed like a little random bit of business that Michael would find on the Internet somewhere. Well, and all of those uh, AA-type sites have these little self-tests to determine whether you might have a problem, so that's actually very common. All right, well, Michael is not getting anywhere. As we can see, everyone else in the office isn't helping. They're not contributing. Um, And like I said, are we supposed to side with Michael or side with the office in this case? I don't know. I have a feeling that we're supposed to side with the office, but I don't know if that works out for me. Maybe your mileage may vary. Uh, As we go along now, the intervention continues. You lit your hair on fire today. What about tomorrow? What is going to happen when you come into work and you're dead. I stab her in the brain with a wooden stick. Everyone in this room loves you. But mark my words, we are not going to support your alcoholism anymore. The next time you light yourself on fire, we are not going to help put you out. Oh, as 
fire marshal, I would have to. Dwight. She is a hazard to the other people of the office. Oh, okay. Okay, you know, this this is over. I agree. Well, I think you did the best you could, but this is bigger than all of us. Enabler. Enabler, 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 enabler. It's Christmas, and we are turning our back on somebody who is asking for help. Now, I guess the irony there, or the, the humor, perhaps, is supposed to come from the fact that Meredith isn't asking for help. Right. I mean, it, it, that's, I, I guess that's supposed to be the point. Um, Michael, even there, what he's saying seems very reasonable to me. I mean, it sounds very reasonable. And I guess Jim's line was, you know, did you read that as sincere with him saying, no. you know, you didn't at all? No. Oh. It was it was a, it was a, it was a snarky comment from a guy who's you known for making snarky comments. I don't know because I kind of took it as being sincere, saying you know this is bigger. We, you know you do what you could. What can we do? Um, otherwise, I don't really understand their attitude. I don't know why else no one else seems to care about what's going on. That's my only explanation is that they the other people in the office realize that they really can't do anything. That it is really bigger than them, and they're not experts. And so maybe that's why they're holding back. They don't know what to do. Um, that line then kind of excuses him or for their you know enabling behavior i guess in my mind if it's just a one-off kind of snarky comment then that doesn't really doesn't really add much into that it just makes the office people seem like bigger jerks i guess yeah I, there were a lot of funny lines there i did like the i am fine was john belushi fine <laughs> and of course the 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 cutaway with phyllis talking about the gifts from corporate which were the dunder mifflin shot glasses and i, I guess we should note that Surprisingly, you and I were talking about this before the show aired. We assumed that those were on sale at the NBC store, but actually they're not. So a missed opportunity yeah. for a cross-promotion, I, I suppose. Usually every piece of merchandise I've ever seen has some logo on a shot glass. So I'm a little surprised that they didn't have it there already. Uh, I, you know, yeah, there's, like you said, there's some good stuff in there. One of the things, I, here's what I was talking about where I thought there was too many talking heads. That scene, I, I thought that scene in there where Dwight says if she comes back dead that he'd stab her in the brain with a wooden stick. And then they go to a talking head where he says the best way to kill a zombie is to stab it in the head with a, to you know, a wooden stick. That just seemed like overkill to me, that you could have just left that line as it was, and it was still funny without it was that being in there. It was still funny having him say that because we already know what he's talking about. It's overkill, no pun intended. Uh, you know, no, I, I, no I, I had the complete opposite reaction. I totally loved the cutaway where he said basically the same thing again. That It's so funny the way these cutaways were so used to them giving us extra details into the mind of the person, but in this case he said the exact same thing. I thought well, that was I, brilliant. I thought it was pointless. I mean, what was Oh. Uh, <laughs> we get the joke. I mean, I don't know, to me, that him just saying that I got the joke and that just seemed like it was no, unnecessary. The, the cutaway was another joke because it was it was playing on our preconceptions that he would say something new and different, like he did earlier with the with the five, with the fist and the five points. That the fact that he said the exact same thing was what was so funny and ridiculous about the cutaway. Well, we just have to di agree to disagree. I thought that he was right. clarifying it for maybe the the average people in the audience who wouldn't understand that it was a zombie reference, so he had to say the word zombie in the cutaway, but whatever. Um, I didn't think it was necessary in any case. So the way that this plays out then is that everyone breaks up. Michael gets Meredith to go into the, his office and they sit there and talk for 45 minutes. And here's where the off, you know, the writers throw us for a loop because we of course think that a breakthrough has occurred and that Michael, you know, has, has talked her into getting help. And unfortunately it is not, <laughs> Not that simple. 
you write down the number of that rehabilitation center that you mentioned? Sure. Wow. Wow. We dismissed poor Richard. We did? Yeah, I thought we were going out for a drink. Shoot. Oh, well. We'll have to go someplace else then, I guess. Sunrise Rehab? No! 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 There is no way! No! No! All right, here we go. I am not going in there! Yes, you are. I am not going in there! Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute, just wait, just wait. Oh, God! Oh, my God! Oh, my God! I have a deposit, alcoholic. Um, so, do I sign? No! As it turns out, you can't just check someone into rehab against their will. They have to do it voluntarily. They have to hit rock bottom. So I think I know what I need to do at this point. I need to find ways to push Meredith to the bottom. I think I can do it. I did it with Jan. So he's just basically got to go and have a relationship with Meredith. Is it the... Is it the point? Well, that would be pretty scary, wouldn't it? Yes, indeed. Now, I, I got to say that I, I agree we talked about this before, him dragging her in and the whole I have a depo- you know a deposit, a drop-off to make. <laughs> Here's an alcoholic. Take care of it. Kind of funny that running and screaming and everything, maybe not so funny as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to bring up, and I know that you're going to call me crazy for this, because I'm the guy... I'm the guy that thought it was appropriate that Michael went to the lengths of framing Toby with a fake pot salad in his drawer, but I found him flinging the pen in Toby's face to be really kind of over-the-top mean in this episode. Well, it certainly wasn't like Toby had made some sort of asinine comment immediately prior, but he was acting, as we talked about already, inappropriately, I think, for his role at the company, and so maybe Michael had just been frustrated that he'd... <laughs> But uh, the funny thing about this whole thing was, and again, I don't know why I didn't see it coming. We've talked this season about all these situations where Michael seems to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. And here, like you were saying, it it was totally set up that he had made this breakthrough. Like, wow, he's actually done something. And then, of course, in the car, we realized that he hasn't actually done anything. Uh, But he did have his moment of glory leaving the office, and everyone was pretty impressed, I think. Yeah, too bad. It didn't last very long. And that's the thing, you know. They talk for 45 minutes and his big scheme as well. I'll just trick her to get in the car. We're gonna, let's go and get a drink somewhere. Did you do any uh, checking on those bar names that were thrown out there, Kevin? Near as I can tell, those were all real Scranton bars, although Sunshine Rehab does not exist. <laughs> so, Michael, that's basically the end of the Michael plot line there. He's uh, somehow got to date Meredith to bring her to hit rock bottom, apparently. And we'll see where that goes. I have a feeling that plot line's really not going to go anywhere. Do you think well, that anything's going to come of this? Well, I don't think that he's going to start dating Meredith and get a new son out of the whole mix. That would be interesting for Michael, wouldn't it? Um, and, and we'll talk about Meredith's son in a, in a little bit. But, yeah, I don't see that going anywhere. Um, you know, maybe she's going to do it her own way, and uh, maybe it's, you know, the, the season finale, some sort of big party. She'll uh, not be drinking, and we'll kind of harken back to this episode. We'll see. Well, I, I think the problem is, and this goes back to my original complaint about Meredith as a character, this is her character. Her being drunk is her sole characterization that she's been given on the show. I, I mean, really, does she have any other qualities? If, if that goes away, I mean, it's sort of like Barney. I don't know if you ever watched The Simpsons, but for a, a season or two, they tried to make Barney uh, a, a coffee drinker. 
supposedly <laughs> gave up. He supposedly gives up drinking, and he's like drinking coffee for a year. And I, I, they obviously realized that well, this whole character is just a drunk. <laughs> and so he went back to being a drunk, then just uh, you know randomly the next year. But I can't see them doing that. I, I guess it, you know she's so one dimensional that if you take that one dimension away, I don't know what what point she has in the show. Well, in the blog, uh, we learn that Meredith is loose, really loose, and a bad mother, but I guess both of those probably have the root in the alcoholism, so... <laughs> exactly. All right, well, let's uh, let's hope for Meredith's... Uh, I don't know, maybe Meredith can become a friend of Bill at some point in the future here. So that really that ends the whole Michael-Meredith intervention plotline. It leaves us with the climax to the Phyllis and Angela brouhaha that's been going on this whole episode so far. Um, Phyllis keeps up with the orders, as I said, the hairnet thing and everything else, takes it one step too far, and Angela calls her out. Please stop making me do these things. Sorry, it's your job. But it's the season of mercy. You never showed me mercy when you were in charge. Why aren't you wearing the hairnet? I lost it. Nice. I need you to put the Christmas tree back up. It's outside. I didn't ask you where it was. I told you where it needs to be. Shut up. Excuse me. I'm not moving the tree. Face it. The only power you have over me is this little secret that I know you're not going to tell. Oh, and you want to know how I know that? Because then you won't be able to plan your stupid tacky parties anymore. So you move the tree. Okay. Angela's having sex with Dwight. I caught them doing it after Toby's going away party. Well, don't look so surprised. I knew it. You did not know it. I knew some of it. Everyone knew some of it. It's Christmas. You knew it. Thank you. I knew it. She knew it. So like I said, very brief little bit of Jim and Pam action. I, I did enjoy those scenes. I know a few people commented that they did not, uh, but yeah, whatever. I'm glad to just I'm just glad to see them on the same side and working together and being nice to each other. Absolutely. One so we talked. We already pretty much talked about this whole plotline and the way it played out and the, the tension and everything else. Uh, the way, it, if you watch the deleted scenes, Kevin, there was like a really long clip of Angela, a little tiny Angela, trying to drag this big tree out into the parking lot. So you can understand why she would be so upset. That would be her breaking point. Yeah, I really think that that would have added a little bit extra color to Angela's point of view in the scene in particular because that's where it starts out is with the tree. But I agree. I mean, it works, I think, even without that. And, again, I think one of the best confrontations that we've seen since Did I Stutter. All right. Well, that just leads us to, as we said before, everyone in the office knowing the truth except for our old friend, Buzz. All right. Everybody's still here. Perfect. Got a little surprise I've been working on. Angela, my bride, I just wanted you to know that for the rest of our lives, I will always be there to bring you Christmas cheer. Deck the halls with boughs of holly, fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Tis the season to be jolly, fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Dawn, we now are gay apparel, fa-la-la-la-la-la. Troll the little old yuletide carol. I think I'd like to go home now. Sure. Tough room. (laughs) 
just so you know, protocol is a little round of applause. But Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Poor, poor sucker. <laughs> Let's give him a little applause here. Yeah, good job, Andy. Yeah, that's you know, uh... I, I, you know, I, I haven't always been the biggest fan of the whole singing Andy thing, but I gotta say, I really did like that rendition, truly. And I, I, you know, you almost feel bad for Angela in that scene because she's put in kind of a bad position there. Although, of course, this is the bed that she has, after all, made herself. Exactly. But uh, that being said, uh, you know, that was a pretty harsh uh, scene for her in particular, with everyone kind of looking at her while Andy's so cool and sweet. Yeah, you know, that, I like the little Ed Helmsian touch in there with the written it, dear. Yeah, exactly. And the chorus. Well, it's almost a little Jack Black there, actually, but anyway. Yeah, he's done that before. I mean, he did that at the convention. Uh, in, I don't know where that came from originally. It must have been before The Office or something, but yeah, like you said, I, I guess we're impressed. We talked about him before playing the banjo. I guess uh, the sitar maybe is not too complicated. <laughs> Right. For him to pick up, yeah. So I mean, I like that. Like you said before, I like that stuff in the little tough room. <laughs> and you know, you can just see that. And that's, I guess, what makes it sad is that he's just so clueless, and we all know that he's so pathetic and everything that he says. You know, he's just so oblivious to his own tragic existence that uh, it makes you want to kind of tear up inside, or maybe not. <laughs> so I guess we'll see how this plays out, and uh, we'll decide then whether it. Uh, it works or not. All right, well, one more little plot line here, and I kind of separated this out with the, the Dwight and the Princess Unicorn plot line. Um, as we mentioned before, the cold open, great little prank, and it does, unlike some of the ones that uh, we've talked about before, it's it, sort of a standalone cold open, but yet it's not because it really does fit in with the whole episode as being Christmas or whatever. It's not like <laughs> in days past, like they did this one cold open, and that was Christmas, and then the next thing you know, it's Easter or something, um, like they did with the Halloween episode this year. So uh, great stuff. It is a lot of visual. uh, The payoff is really visual in there, so I don't know how good this clip's going to be, but let's just uh, take a listen to Jim's big holiday prank. What is this? Happy holidays, Dwight. But do not open it until Christmas. You're so pathetic. How long did this take you? Three hours? Five minutes, actually. I am a black belt in gift wrapping. Yeah, no such thing. They don't give out black belts for things that are stupid. Well, I hope it was worth it, because I'm going to take it apart in about five minutes. I think it'll take you a little bit longer than that. Really? If I can skin a mule deer in less than ten minutes, I ought to be able to cut my... (laughs) And of course, the big payoff there, Dwight comes in, his desk and all of his computer and everything, and chair are wrapped in wrapping paper. Um, the big payoff that no one was expecting is, of course, that it's all... I don't even know how they did that. It was just like a hollow frame or some yeah. kind of light cardboard that was put together to resemble a desk and a chair. And they even had, like, a fake thing that looked like the bobblehead, and uh, it was great. Great attention to detail on that prank. Uh, probably one of Jim's best ever. Definitely in the top five. And I, I agree with you. It, it's not exactly related to the plot, but it's certainly thematically close enough where you get the sense that this is sort of part of the whole Christmas thing, at least. Exactly. <clears throat> so Dwight, as we said in uh, the introduction, is, you know, he's out to make a big Christmas buck. I'm sure that he's been, uh, in years past, maybe hoarding his Tickle Me Elmos or whatever else the hot gift is. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that they invented something. Um, 
maybe they just didn't want to be wrong, or, or I don't know. I wonder what. I mean, it's kind of funny, I guess, the whole doll and the stupid uh, banter and things that Dwight says about it from reading off the box. Well, I, I think that they you, you were you got it on the right track there that they didn't want to maybe take the bet of something that didn't turn out to be this year's big favorite. So if they create their own, they can have some additional sort of flavor about the ridiculousness of some of these toys uh, that become the most popular toys, because it is absolutely ridiculous with this horn and all that. And then plus, uh, of course, the payoff at the end means to make sure that the toy has enough different variety of models. Uh, and I think this is such a great social commentary about our corporate culture and our uh, our consumer culture of the way we hoard these gifts and need to follow along with the Joneses. Uh, just perfect for the office. Well, Kevin, you're a parent, so let me ask you a question. Have you ever uh, gone to such lengths to buy your child or your children a Christmas present that they've so desired? Well, I haven't gone out of my way to purchase something at you know five times the cost or something, but I did purchase a certain... Uh, video game system from a uh, company from Japan in about uh, middle of August this year to make sure it was ready for Christmas. So, Well, see, you're one of those parents that plans ahead. You're not one of the guys that Dwight's taking advantage of the, no, but the that last was, minute people. But that was kind of a, a far length to go, okay, we're buying this now because it might not be available at Christmas time. Well, it was probably a good call because they are sold out still, so... All right, well, let's get into the next plot line here. Now, what's going on? Dwight comes in with an armload of doll goodness. Oh, you brought in your doll collection. These are not dolls, Jim. These are commodities, the same as gold or oil. Every year, I do research to determine which toy will be the most popular of the Christmas season. This year, it's a doll, half girl, half unicorn. Catchphrase, my horn can pierce the sky. Pathetic. I bought out every store in the area over the last couple of weeks. And, as lazy parents become more desperate, I will sell them at an enormous profit. That's the Christmas spirit. I am simply punishing those parents that would wait to the last minute to give their child a gift. And such a genetically improbable one. Look at that. How does that happen? The king has sex with a unicorn? The man with a horn has sex with a royal horse? Oh, hey, is that Princess Unicorn? I thought they were all sold out. They are now. Cool. My horn can pierce the sky. 120, 180, 200. All right. Oh, thank you so much. My daughter is going to love this. Oh, so glad I could help. Thanks. Merry Christmas. You too. Fa la 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 ka-ching. One of the classic lines, I think that is going to definitely go down through the history as a nice classic Dwight line. Absolutely. Uh, great execution there. And, of course... They, they pepper the characters in such a good way in this uh, clip that you just played here where, of course, Jim's, oh, there's the Christmas spirit. And then with Michael coming in, he automatically <laughs> knows this doll, of all things, and knows the little theme song. Perfect. Well, he's probably watching a lot of Nickelodeon on his uh, <laughs> plasma TV, you know. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny. It ties into his character, definitely. Um, I also... <laughs> I love Dwight's dialogue in there. It was like, how does that happen? A king have sex with a unicorn? <laughs> a guy with a horn, you know, have sex with a royal, a royal horse? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, and I, I love the scene later in the episode where they're having the intervention, and that guy walks in, he's not sure what's going on. He makes a little unicorn uh, <laughs> motion there with his finger. Yeah, Dwight just like, ooh. He sneakily goes off, and yeah. It's just hilarious. Yeah, it's it is. I mean, like you said, it's a good satire of the whole holiday season with these parents just and they're thanking him. You know, they're just thanking him for charging two hundred dollars. 
right? For this crappy doll that uh, they just gotta have for their spoiled brat kids. So as you said, you know, during the course of the episode, we got a few guys popping in uh, to transact some business with Dwight. And at the end of the episode, the end of the day, as things are winding down, our old friend Toby Flenderson uh, is on the phone with his daughter, looking to become a hero. Hey, Sasha, it's Daddy. Have you ever heard of this doll, Princess Unicorn? Daddy, daddy, daddy. This is great. My ex-wife's going to be so pissed. <laughs> For once, Daddy's going to be a hero. Hey, I'd like to buy one of your dolls. Oh, that's my last one. No, no, I was going to I was gonna buy that doll. Thanks, man. I was going to get the doll. I would... Not my problem. I, pro- <laughs> I, I promised my daughter, that, there, look. I need the doll. I, I, I'm begging you. I just, I need it more than anything in the world. I need this doll. Okay. All right, man. No cry. Just, it's cool. I'll let you get it for 400 I only have two. You can owe me. Owe <laughs> oh, me. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> man. Thank you. Thank you. I know, right? <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> oh, thanks. Oh. Something wrong with the doll? No. It's, it's even um, it's even better than the one I wanted. You know, Kevin. As much as I hate uh, Toby Flanderson a lot of the times, I really can't. I can't find too much funny in that scene. I just feel really bad for the guy. I think. <laughs> well, I, I no, I thought it was entirely funny. And <laughs> although the whole thing at the end where he says it's better. Uh, there's actually a scene in the uh, off-maligned Will Ferrell film, Kicking and Screaming, which has a very similar theme where a white guy says that the minority is better because they're a minority. So that that's been done before, but uh, I, the whole payoff with the black doll was just hilarious, and, and I just thought <laughs> that was just fabulous. I mean, is, 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 you know, again... Toby, you think maybe he's won one at the end after that, uh, the close call, and then no, here's another punch in the gut for you. Yeah, if you're ba- you know bagging him and the oh, I'll sell it to you for four hundred. You don't have to cry. <laughs> he's like, yeah, well, you can owe me, and he's so happy. He's so happy that Daryl is giving him this doll. He's gonna be a hero to his daughter. You know, he's such a loser. He's like the Charlie Brown of Scranton, Pennsylvania, and just wants to win one, and he just can't win. And I. I mentioned this to you when we were uh, before we were recording before Kevin, but if you go to the fake Princess Unicorn website that NBC put up, uh, there's a testimonial section, and there's a testimonial from a few people, uh, Dwight and Kelly, uh, but there's also a testimonial from to- it's from Toby F that says, you know, <laughs> the people at uh, Toys for Tots were very excited to get it. <laughs> So <laughs> it tells us a little bit about what happened to his uh, <laughs> to his poor four hundred dollar princess unicorn black version. Uh, man, yeah, I don't that's, know. That's 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 really funny. Good <laughs> I just, stuff there. I can't help but feel sorry for that guy. At least on Christmas, I'll give him a break. All right. Well, the, a lot of deleted scenes this week. Actually, there's quite a quite a bit. As two scenes, but it, about four minutes worth of stuff. Uh, so again, this could have been another producer's cut length episode perhaps not all of it great but uh let's take a listen and see what you think how long is this gonna take hey don't pressure the bartender sdh might mess up the drink hey i'm getting red wine and a glass i would love to open my own bar have a pool table a couple of dartboards 
of an open mic night, but a real one, you know, one that anybody could use, where they would actually let you finish your goddamn routine. A man is a genius. Mm, thank you. Another one. Well, I have one all hooked up for yeah. you there from your genius friend. Another red wine, please. Another red wine. Actually, can I interest you in some sangria? Now, this is red wine with fruit mix in it, Stanley. And Stu is red wine with meat in it, Michael. I'd like a red wine, please. Okay. Red wine. There you go. Thank you. I can do a simple red wine. How about some sangria with some peppermint schnapps? The doctor is in. Oh, that sex on the couch. Okay. I do not mind doing hard labor. Ronald Reagan got his start as a stock boy lugging heavy boxes 10 hours a day. Don't miss the telephone. And he went on to become the president of a party planning committee I like to call the United States of America. And most people call it that. Did you know that an ant can carry five times its own weight? All it needs is a strong queen to tell it what to do. And there's nothing that little creature can't accomplish. She went up quick, so she's definitely a witch. Or she's definitely not a witch. <sighs> I used to know this stuff. Honestly, Meredith, it's not so bad. Yeah, and you kind of needed a haircut anyway. It's completely uneven. No, it's cute and spiky and fun. Oh, you know who you look like? Rihanna. Or you could just shave it all off, and then you'd look like Pink or Natalie Portman. You really think I look okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when Ryan broke up with me and I was miserable, nobody cared. And then there was that time that I waited all night for tickets for Justin Timberlake, and I got sick, and no one had any sympathy. But yeah, Meredith drinks a little bit too much at one Christmas party, and everyone's so upset. You know what? I could let my hair on fire, and that would be a way to get attention, and I'll do it. I don't care. I hate my hair. I'm fun. And everyone else was drinking tonight, too. Well, well not everyone. Everyone with a pair. Movies always make alcohol look fun. Oh, look, we're four fabulous ladies living in the city and having sex and having cosmos. Well, here's the reality. Carrie would be in rehab right now, and Samantha would have AIDS. Or at least herpes. I think that we should go around and all name celebrity that we care about who died of an overdose. Janice Joplin. Yes, good. Jim Morrison. There you go. Marilyn Monroe. Ernie Hudson. He's not dead. Oh, Ooh, right. I I was playing that game where you say a celebrity was the first letter is the last letter of the one before. You should have said Elvis Presley. He died of a drug overdose, and his name begins with the letter E. That's right. And there's some debate as to whether he's actually dead. Yeah. No. I'm just saying. Elnis Regina, Brazilian uh, singer, uh, cocaine alcohol. <laughs> Okay, good. So, if you don't get some help, there's another name we're going to have to add to that list. Meredith, and then your last name. She'd have to be famous first. We couldn't really add it to this list. It's okay. We could do another game, though. You know what? Why don't you stop talking? Meredith is to alcohol what I am to chocolate. I am a total chocoholic. Maybe they should have an intervention for me. No. It's... Alcohol is very serious, and chocolate is just, just tastes good. That reminds me of a shirt that I used to see at the Onion store that said, I'm a chocoholic for booze. <laughs> so maybe Michael, 
maybe Meredith can get that shirt. I don't know. Uh, so, so a few good things in there. I heard you chuckling a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Some good stuff. Probably nothing that you would probably pull out of the, you know, put put into the episode and pull something else out, though, however, especially the, the cocktail-style bartending scene. That yeah. That didn't work for me. That went a little too but long. I, but the the stuff with Angela carrying the tree, like we said, I think that that would have been a nice visual to uh, kind of really emphasize why she was so pissed off. Well, you know, when I asked earlier, could if Phyllis have been more of a bitch, and yeah, if they put that scene in there, she needs a strong queen, yeah. That, that, <laughs> all right. Thank you, Phyllis, for taking it up a level. Congrats. Exactly. Uh, any messages? Yeah, just stuff that. Oh, hey, this is from corporate. How many times have I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? Yeah. Oh, the waste paper basket. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't uh, want to get it? You put it in the garbage can that was a special filing cabinet. Yeah, uh, that was a joke. Well, uh, thanks to listener Melanie for pointing out the fact that NBC had set up that bogus Princess Unicorn website uh, in conjunction with this week's episode at www.princessunicorndoll.com. Um, it's interesting little fun thing to spend a few minutes with, just like much like the Andy and Angela wedding album and other other sites of such that kind of nature. A um, few words of warning from the site, though. Anyone that is planning on purchasing one of these dolls, uh, there are some cautions that I want you to be aware of. Number one, wash your hands thoroughly after handling Princess Unicorn, Kevin. Uh, do not play with Princess Unicorn if you are allergic to lead-based paint. The spike on Princess Unicorn is incredibly sharp, so Princess Unicorn can pierce the sky. It can also pierce your skin. <laughs> so handle with care. And then from the testimonial section, as we said... Um, this was left by Dwight K. Schrute. Proficiently made, girls and effeminate boys tend to have a strong affinity for it. For all your unicorn princess and paper needs, call Thunder Mifflin Scranton and ask for Dwight K. Schrute. So there you go. Links to the site. Also go to the NBC Universal store, uh, which is selling a princess unicorn T-shirt in both Toby and Daryl varieties. <laughs> Yeah, that's a pretty good fake website. And of those testimonials, they had Michael Scott was in there. I saw, and uh, you mentioned the Toby one there. It's it's a lot of fun to go check that out. All right, the 2009 Golden Globe nominations were announced, and the office is up against Californication, Entourage, 30 Rock, and Weeds for the best TV series, musical, or comedy. And Steve Carell is up against Alec Baldwin, Kevin Connolly, David Duchovny, and Tony Shalhoub for Best Actor, TV, Musical, or Comedy. The ceremony will be held on January 11th, and because the SAG strike won't be uh, in play, we actually will have a Golden Globes ceremony this week, or this year. And speaking of awards, the Writers Guild Award also announced their nominees, and The Offices uh, was uh, nominated, and will be taking on 30 Rock, Entourage, The Simpsons, and Weeds. And those Writers Guild Awards will be handed out on February 7th. Kevin, can I, and I'm, we're big fans of The Office, obviously, but they're not going to ever win again, are they? I mean, 30 Rock has, got, has just like got a lockdown on this whole thing. Um, you know, Alec Baldwin, I think, won last year for Best Comedic Actor. So do we have a chance this year? Well, you'd think not. I mean, the Globes tend to try to be the early anointers. You know, they were early with The Office and early with Mad Men and, and things like that. So this year I would expect them to go with David Duchovny to sort of pump up the Californication uh, underdog there. Uh, but, you know, Steve Perel definitely has a chance. I mean, he had a strong season last year and, you know, depends on – and there's only 90-some 
people in this Hollywood foreign press. So he only has to impress a couple people uh, to get ahead. So, Well, we'll see, I guess, on January 11th. All right. Um, we talked about this a few times before, but here's a little strike update from uh, Entertainment Weekly's Lynette Rice. She says, The Screen Actors Guild took another step toward a potential strike today by announcing its strike authorization schedule. Ballots will go out to paid-up members on Friday, January 2nd, and are due back for tabulation on Friday, January 23rd. Uh, 75% of the voting members must vote yes to approve a strike, which the 120,000-plus member union is expected to use as a negotiating ploy to seek further gains from the conglomerates. Should the union fail to achieve what they want in a new contract, SAG National Board of Directors must call for a strike before picketing can actually begin. Um, the Screen Actors Guild, SAG, has been working without a contract since June and is the last Hollywood union without a new deal. It's looking probably 50-50. I think there's a lot of people that are really trying to avoid the strike, unlike, the, say, the writers who were really probably asking for a strike, I think, last year. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> like we said before, we said this, talked about this last week. I mean, it's a tough situation. Um, they haven't gotten a deal. They need to get a deal, and now the economy's bad, so they don't want to give them a deal. So they're kind of screwed, but maybe is that why we're getting all these extra episodes coming out in January, do you think? Uh, well, it could be, although you think that they, if they think a strike is looming, they'd probably want to save those and keep them fresh for, for February. You know, if, if they're if they're just going to strike in late January, they'd want to have those episodes for Streets Month, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I, well, I guess you're right. All right, well, moving on, uh, the Broadway company of Chicago is pleased to announce additional details for the January installment of a Talk Back Tuesdays, a new monthly series offering a post-show discussion and audience Q&A session with the members of the Broadway company of the record-breaking hit musical. Designed to provide theatergoers with an exclusive behind-the-scenes glimpse into the world of Chicago, the next Talk Back Tuesdays offering is set for Tuesday, January 6, 2009, featuring a post-show conversation with actress Melora Hardin. Tickets for the Tuesday, January 6, Talk Back Tuesdays performance are available by calling tellcharge.com at 212-239-6200. And they can also be purchased in person at the Ambassador Theater box office located in New York City. There you go. Uh, we talked, to, got that message last week about the tickets being severely discounted, um, whatever that means. But here's your chance if you want to go see a show and talk to Melora Harden afterwards, January 6th. All right, Entertainment Weekly posted a slideshow of what they consider to be Jim Halpert's 17 best pranks over the last four and a half seasons of The Office. Um, I'm on record as not being a huge fan of the pranks that aren't deserved, in other words, that Dwight or whoever needs to do something to deserve the punishment they get. But with Dwight being such a massive tool this season, I'm completely down with some righteous pranking. And the cold open from Moroccan Christmas definitely goes down as one of my all-time favorites. So um, head on over to EW.com or check the link on TWSSpodcast.com. Yeah, it was a pretty good list. I'm glad to see them put that together, especially this week, very timely with a great cold open prank. Well, uh, we have this posted on the, on the blog page. A reminder to anyone living outside of the United States, we do have full instructions on how to view the Hulu.com videos, including, of course, The Office. So if you're one of those people who wants uh, to catch up or if on an episode that you've missed, check out TWSSpodcast.com for more information. You know, and it's not just episodes as well. I mean, um, a lot of people can get episodes from other shady sources 
out there. But uh, specifically with Hulu, you, you know, you can get the deleted scenes, you get the um, webisodes that you can't really get any other way. So uh, we've had a couple of people that have said that this works perfectly, so give it a shot. All right, uh, remember also you can now download podcasts with iPhone or iPod Touch firmware version 2.2. Check out the blog page for a walkthrough on how to get that done. All right, if you can't get enough of our brilliant insights, you can follow Matt and me on Twitter, twitter.com slash summermatt and twitter.com slash Crossman. Of course, these are personal accounts, not dedicated, that's what she said, feeds. But go ahead and follow us if you're so inclined, and you too can learn the early details of Matt's Christmas party goings. <laughs> exactly. All right, well, um, cast blogs, let's take a look at this. Angela uh, had this to say. Uh, in last week's episode, there will definitely be a scene on the gag reel. Rain, Ed, and I could not get through the scene where Dwight tells us directions to Shrewd Farms. We all kept losing it. And Rain kept making up more and more ridiculous directions. We were a mess. I actually really like that little bit about turn 150 paces at the beehive or whatever. So I can only imagine how ridiculous that might have been. Um, she says, we were sitting on set between scenes and Creed yelled frantically, help, help me. We all jumped up thinking something was very wrong with him, but turns out his computer was frozen. She had a little <laughs> tongue sticking out emoticon there. Um, my Christmas tree scene in this week's episode was a lot of fun. I did it in two takes. I had the bruises and scratches to prove it, and I was so proud of them. I kept showing them to people like they were some kind of trophy. I love doing physical comedy, and I guess too bad for her that that was all cut <laughs> out of the well, show. Mo- most of it was cut. Yeah, exactly. And she says, I am still pumping all day. That's what she said. She said. <laughs> all right. Well, Meredith's blog, we've been following it all season. Seems like a good time to check in. Uh, she says, the only person I bother getting a gift for is my son, Jakey. He's getting to an age where it's hard to get him what he wants because one of us is going to jail. But I do what I can to make him happy on Christmas. Last year, Jakey wanted a Death Spade Zippo lighter. Boy, has his mama's great taste. On that Christmas Eve, I went to the Steamtown Mall for some shopping. I had a few scratcher tickets worth about 50 bucks. I cashed them in. I used the money for his lighter. When I gave it to Jakey the next morning, his face lit up. I made my boy's Christmas wish come true. Then he showed me his arm. He got a tattoo that said mother and another word. The mother part was his gift to me, and I loved it. So you see, a Christmas does have its good side. I don't know how I'm going to top that lighter this year. I may just give in and give him that crossbow he's been asking for. Well, I know where you can get one. Probably cheap. Now, wasn't his wasn't Meredith's son kind of like 10 years old or something when we saw him a few seasons back? Is yeah. He heading uh, off to jail? Boys and uh, Bring Your Daughter to Work Day episode was... Yeah, he seemed like he was about 12 or something along those lines. Well, they grow up so fast, don't they? <laughs> yes, they do. And I'm a little disappointed there's no mention of the whole uh, rehab alcoholism thing in the blog. Well, let's move on to a more festive blog posting. Andy and Angela's wedding blog. Now we have more details about the ceremony. Um, we'll see where this goes after this week's events. But Andy writes, Initially, I suggested to Angela that we get one of her cats to serve as our ring bearer. Awesome, right? Wrong. Apparently, bestowing the ring bearer honor on just one cat would upset the delicate egalitarian social structure of her entire herd. Anyway, after a lot of discussion of bargaining and careful negotiation with Angela and her cats, we realized why we, uh, why just have one ring bearer when we can have eight? Angela's really excited, too, although she's a little nervous her cats might defend the rings. They're really reluctant to give her away. 
but the chance that I'll be severely scratched and bitten is one that I'm willing to take to please my princess. Also, I plan on slipping them large amounts of Vicodin prior to the ceremony to loosen them up a bit. Ah, uh, good lord. Yeah, as you said, uh, we'll see what happens with that, I guess. But So, we're a little. Su- I was a little surprised anyway, but according to Office Tally, the next new episode is going to be airing in January 15th, and we have no story information or title details as of yet. There is supposed to be two episodes in January, and then the episode on February 2nd after the Super Bowl. So, in that note, Kevin, we had a couple people mentioning uh, if we were going to be doing some more retro episodes. And we might, get maybe one, I don't know, because, I mean, the truth of the matter is, we're putting this out here, um, it's going to be December 15th before this airs, um, and then there's only a month until the next episode is going to be on, so... Uh, maybe we'll get one in there. I'm not sure, but I, I wouldn't count on a whole bunch <laughs> of retro episodes. There are certain things a boss does not share with his employees. His salary, his bed, and I am not going to tell them that I'll be reading their emails. i got to erase a lot of stuff. Just so you know, if you have any sensitive emails, they need to be deleted immediately. I know. A lot all right these are uh, comments in response to that's what she said episode 57 talking about the surplus uh, luke had this to say he said kevin i completely agree with you on both dwight and pam while dwight's heart is in the right place his by any means necessary philosophy has once again screwed himself out of the love with angela this in my mind makes dwight one of the few truly tragic characters in comedy today and i'm loving pam's new assertiveness and strength her transformation from a doormat to a strong woman is equal to Michael's transformation from idiot to man. Thanks for pointing it out right off the top. When have we gotten that transformation in Michael from idiot to man? <laughs> I'm still waiting on that one, I think. Yeah, I don't know that I quite said that, but uh, <laughs> thanks for the kind words anyway. Uh, Rancia wrote, Matt, as a woman, I had no problem with Pam sexing herself up to influence Michael. None of my female friends who watched did. The three women of the Office Alliance podcast thought it was funny as hell and had no problem. It was for a com- comedic effect. Pam was having a lot of fun that day. As you seem to suspect, you are being too PC about it. Pam doesn't have to go back to being a mouse. That's kind of insulting to women, but I do appreciate your point of view. Well, yeah, me, it's, t- it's tough to be a guy in this world, right? You can't be too PC or not enough, right? Well, I got to say, Kevin, and I appreciate that point of view, and what can I really say, okay, if all these women are telling me that it's no big deal and that they thought it was hilarious, okay, I guess I'm wrong, but my point is still the fact that I'm not, she doesn't need to be a mouse, I mean, she showed that Ryan, you know, she took down Ryan in that episode, she wasn't being a mouse, right, in the, in her first episode back, that was, mm-hmm. I, I thought that was a great scene, with her being assertive, to me, being assertive, I guess, doesn't mean that someone, you know, has to shake their tatas in their boss's face to get what they want. It's, to me, that's not assertive. That's not being, you know, a powerful woman. That's using the same old standard stereotypical techniques that women have supposedly always used to get their way, you know, to, to bank on their sexuality. And, you know, I thought Pam was better than that. Anyway, she's the one that knows Michael the best. She could certainly manipulate his mind in many other ways. And you'd think, if anyone, how many times has she just been disgusted by any thought of Michael and sex being put together, you'd think that was the last thing that she'd want to do would be to encourage him to to think of her that way. So uh, I'll just throw that out there. We'll move on. 
I think those are good points. Maybe we'll hear from some alcoholics saying whether this episode was funny this week or not. All right. Well, Dennis had this to say. He said, after watching the show twice and listening to your podcast, I want to go on record with my prediction for the series finale, which will be based on a line in this episode. I predict that the series finale will involve everyone in the office dying of exposure to either radon or asbestos, the silent killers. <laughs> Why else would that line come up? It's too good to just be a throwaway. So when The Office is wiped out in Season 9, just remember that you heard it here first. So it's an interesting take, Kevin. I think that that's been done before <laughs> in Seinfeld or maybe even The Sopranos. I think The Office is not going to have one of these controversial season finales, or, uh, <laughs> series finales anyway. Uh, you don't think Dunder Mifflin's going to just explode and then they'll fade no. to black? <laughs> right. with, with, with Toby off on the side of the street laughing. <laughs> yeah. No. All right, let's have some comments on Moroccan Christmas. This one came in via email from Brent Swisher. I know Kevin liked this episode, but I see a fair amount of hate on the blog page. Here's my one-liner's response to them, and I quote, I challenged them not to laugh, as Michael said in the deleted scene. And Brent went through a bunch of the one-liners here. They don't give black belts for things that are stupid. I will not be the big guy in the little hat. And he went on and on and on. He had a gigantic list of funny quotes. And then Brent ended, to me, all those are pretty darn funny. And I agree. Yep. Uh, teacher Matt had this to say. He was one of the biggest naysayers, I think, of this episode this week. He said, alcoholism just isn't funny in the way that it was portrayed here. Being the son of an alcoholic, I probably am a little more sensitive than some, but the moment when Michael dragged Meredith into rehab was about the most unfunny thing I've ever seen on The Office. Just what are we supposed to think about that? Are we supposed to laugh that someone is being dragged into rehab? Again, my views may be tempered by my memory of my dad being taken away when I was a kid, but still, even for someone who didn't go through that, it's not funny. If it's turning into more of a drama than a comedy, then this app was a way to do that, I suppose. Well, Sam was also piling on the negativity. He wrote, This was one of the worst Christmas episodes and one of the worst episodes, period, of this great show. Evil Phyllis, watching Michael drag Meredith screaming into rehab, the boring Andy Sitar stuff equals an unlikable mess. The only saving grace was Jim and Pam. They were great. Wish they had a bigger part in this episode for sure. <laughs> you know, this is funny. I, I don't think you included this in here, but somebody somebody posted on the blog page. They said this episode, <laughs> this episode is the fourth worst Christmas episode, and that's not a typo. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> alluding to that missed one last year, it's even worse than nothing. Now, obviously, you and I both disagree with that. I I did find a lot of things to like about this episode, though. I do agree that that. Main plotline wasn't exactly rib-tickling, but uh, let's go on to the next one. Kelly had this to say, After this episode, I said something I've never said about an Office episode before. That was terrible. Oh, that is, that's a shame. <laughs> All right, well, Beth was a little bit mixed emotion. She said, This episode reaffirmed my hatred of Toby, ignited my hatred of Phyllis, and confirmed my annoyance at Pam. However, it also made me love Angela more, as well as Dwight. That scene of Michael dragging Meredith into rehab. Wow. I hated it and loved it at the same time. It was horrific but powerful. However, the last bit when Michael said he was going to push Meredith to break down, that was just horrific. <laughs> the cold open, however, was one of the best. Yep, and we agree on that for sure. Um, Jake in L.A. had this to say, I loved, absolutely loved, the Phyllis Angela showdown. Seeing Phyllis knock the Xmas party out of the park and use Angela like an indentured servant was cool. Then seeing Angela stand up to Phyllis only to have her spill the beans was awesome. All right, and finally, Emma wrote, 
Just thought I'd weigh in since this seems to be a love it or hate it type of episode. I've been pretty lukewarm about this entire season, but this was one of the most I've laughed out loud in season five. I love the Phyllis and Angela party planning stuff, and I thought Dwight was on fire tonight. No, Meredith was on fire. Anyway, <laughs> I, also love, I also love the cold open and Michael's talking head at the end explaining how to get through to Meredith. I did it with Jan or whatever. Merry Moroccan Christmas to all. What a great way to end. Exactly. So as you said, a mixed bag of comments there. Let us see what uh, 2009 brings to our favorite show. Well, that's about going to do it for us this week. Join us in January for episode 59, which right now is to be determined. Please send any comments or constructive compliments to TWSSpodcast at gmail.com and visit the show blog page at TWSSpodcast.com. If you have a chance, please leave positive feedback on iTunes and spread the word in the various The Office-related forums. Every little bit helps. Music for this episode is provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com and remember to head on over to NBC.com slash The Office during the week. For additional deleted scenes, interviews, episode recaps, cast blogs, and more. And Kevin, I wish you and all of our listeners a very Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday season. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to everyone. Christmas to all and to all a good night.